Welcome to Hard Beautiful Journey. This is a podcast about addictions, mental health, and unresolved trauma. Do you want to feel less alone and more supported on the addiction journey you never thought you would be on? Do you find yourself asking questions such as, how can I help my loved one overcome their addiction? And am I doing enough? Do you wake up afraid that today will be the day your loved one overdoses and passes away? Hey, I'm Tiffany. I too felt helpless and wished that I could do more to help my brother who was struggling with addiction and mental health. I wanted him to find the help he needed and turn his life around, but I kept telling myself, it's too hard to beat this, there are not enough resources, and I'm not a professional, so what else can I do? I felt alone until I found hope through community, and I want to help you do the same. In this podcast, you will find community, hope, and resources to support your loved one through their addiction, and most importantly, support you. So grab a seat, get your earbuds in, and let's take this hard, beautiful journey together. Hey there, thanks so much for being here for episode 72 of Hard Beautiful Journey. I'm so grateful that you are here as always. Today on the podcast, I have a beautiful soul named Tasia McLucky. You will find out in this interview how I know Tasia and where I met her. And let's just say the universe has pretty interesting ways of putting people in our lives when we need them and She is definitely one of them for me. Tasia describes herself as a middle-class, white, female born and raised in BC with lived experience. She was in and out of illicit substance misuse for three plus years and prescribed substance misuse for four plus years. Tasia is here to talk about her lived experience in addiction and how she now does work as a support and outreach worker in various settings and her thoughts on how our Canadian government is handling the drug crisis in our country. Here is my interview with Tasia. Hey Tasia, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am good. I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast today. But before we get started, I want to tell everybody about the connection that you and I have and how we actually met. Is that cool? Yeah, for sure. It's a pretty cool story. So for those just tuning in for the first time on this episode, my big brother, Corey, passed away October of last year of a fentanyl drug overdose. And somebody on Instagram who I don't know reached out to me and let me know that this professor out in BC was putting together a documentary on the opioid crisis and how it's impacting families. And so, yeah, I was all on board for reaching out to them and saying, yeah, I'd like to be a part of this. And he then told me that we had to interview another person and as part of the process. And I was matched up with this, this lady who ended up not showing up or wanting to do it anymore. And then I was paired with Tasia and both of us were super nervous, right? Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Super, super nervous. But as soon as we started talking, that all went away like instantly. And I was so comfortable sharing such a hard 
story with Tasia and, and how you held me in such a safe space. And, and it was just something really cool to experience with you on such a hard topic. And now you and I, I would consider you one of my friends. And I know, isn't it strange? <laughs> it's such a cool world. I love it. Yeah. Love it. So that's yeah. where I met Tasia and how I found out part of your story and what you shared in that documentary. But it was actually in April when I went out to Victoria, where I was doing some market research and talking with you more about stuff that you're doing in, in this space and where I knew I really wanted to have you on my podcast so that we could shine a light on some of the, the stuff going on in our country anyway, in Canada, in regards oh. to the opioid crisis and, and just the drug drug situation in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but before we get there, let's hear a little bit about you and your story, and then we'll get more into it. I don't really know where to begin. I guess I am, uh, I live in BC and I'm a mom of two boys and I, my journey and all of this started in 2011. Sorry. I don't know. I feel so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be nervous. Um, I was in a car accident, which is a typical story uh, for a lot of people where they get injured and they get prescribed. Uh, That led to four years of prescribed substance misuse. And then to the point where I was also like purchasing on the side over and above what my doctors were prescribing me. There was lots of times when my family didn't know. uh, And I really didn't know how else to get help besides going to a 12-step program, which I had done a few times. And then, yeah, went to treatment, completed a program. And then that the 12-step, although essentially saved like my life, it just, it was never really enough for me. I was always like the why kid. Uh, Mm. If someone said like, this is red. I'm like, yeah, but what makes red? Like how many colors do you have to put together to get this hue of red? There's so many shades of red. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So essentially I got myself into a lot of trouble, but I also (laughs) learned a lot (laughs) along the way. Yeah. My mom always says I like to take the scenic route. (laughs) (laughs) But the scenic route shows you a whole bunch of things. It does. It does. And I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I went through a period of time where I lost custody of my children. I lost even like as simple as access to my mom's house. One of my like biggest accomplishments through all of this was getting a key to my sister's house, which Mm -hmm. I still like, I think I've mentioned that before Mm -hmm. when we've talked is like, I like still see her today. And it's, you know, three and a half years later where I'm like, I'll open the door. (laughs) (laughs) I have a key to a house. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a simple thing, but it, yeah, it was a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And so like, I guess just getting back to like the why part of it, treatment was incredible. It was what I needed and the type of treatment that I received was extremely hard and it was I just, I guess I just learned how to just take a step back. But then when I left 
treatment after like I completed their 90 day program, I still was left with like, what do you mean if I ever use again, I'm going to die. And, and, and that not saying that that doesn't work. So this is when I'm, what I'm speaking to is just like my own personal Mm -hmm. experience. You know, I know others feel differently and that's okay too. Yep. And so what I dove into um, was the community action team in the community that I was living in. I was met by this new woman who she came in and she just like ran a train over this community in such a beautiful way. She never took no for an answer. She came from a ton of experience the downtown east side. And um, I just was downtown like east side, meaning Vancouver, oh, Vancouver. right? Vancouver, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where there is a substantial crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of overworked, underpaid, understaffed mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, people fighting for this major crisis that has been going on for a long time. And so within, since 2016, since this has been announced, the issues go stem back further than that. But what I've, what I've noticed is this divide between the fact that this is like a health issue and not a, like a criminal one. And the more that we, continue to go and enforce and police this issue it continues to add to situations that you know your brother ended up in and Mm -hmm. my cousin and like countless lives but unfortunately uh, addressing this issue in the ways that I feel and that I feel that I think that most people do when they understand what's going on is uh there there's no money in it Mm -hmm. And that's the, there's no that's, money um, allocated, real money allocated yeah. to handling and, and supporting and dealing with this crisis in ways that work is how I understand it. Yeah. And I think in turn, even if we, they did put money into it, this is going to take a long time to, to heal and to address And I think what continues to add to it is, you know, the general public sees us throwing money at this issue in these small efforts, which are are destined to fail, but it will continue someone's political career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we are not a long game country right now. We, We are really, I think at the end of the day, the people that are making these decisions, it's within like their own self-interest it's like we are a you know a populist vote country so mm-hmm. if this says if you know if this is if a decision is going to further someone's career regardless of like the harm that it's going to cause to the people beneath them it's not really going to affect them because they're going to make their money and they're going to make their political gains and then then they're dead mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter it's like yeah we're very individualized in that way. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things? So back to this lady that you were talking about, what has she, what has she done um, that you've seen in your community and, and how that's impacting people? 
I can't, I don't really know like many specifics. I just, what I do know is that after she had come, she coordinated the community action team. And I just, I saw a lot of things kind of snowball after that, our supportive housing, you know, became successful and she ran the shelter there and she, she just seemed to come up with these funds that provided these resources and Mm -hmm. she gave like people like me that don't have a post-secondary education a chance Mm -hmm. and so I think she provided a lot of opportunity and now that community is leading the way in a lot of big changes with like nurses prescribing um, overdose outreach teams and then safe consumption sites they've there's a safe smoking site that they have there now and yeah I think they just really foster what works Mm -hmm. and I think it started with her Mm -hmm. and are you comfortable naming her um I didn't ask her okay (laughs) if I could name her so like I I do but I also do a lot of things impulsively so (laughs) I um yeah if, if I had her permission, I definitely would okay. yeah. no, say, you don't have and to. I'm sure she'd be fine with it, but yeah, you just never know. <laughs> yeah. You never know. And yeah. all, all that we'll say is she's doing good work and, and inspiring other people. Right. I am who I am in this field because of her for sure. Mm-hmm. That like chokes me up. <laughs> it's beautiful yeah. though. Like it, it literally, you never know who you're going to impact. Right. Even with, mm-hmm one person and impacting one person's life. Now look what you get to do with your life. You get to be there for your boys, right? Yeah, for sure. So it, it, it literally takes sometimes just one person reaching one other person to make a huge difference. So that's all we need. So what are some of the things that you've seen? Cause you've worked in outreach over the last um, how many years, couple of years, uh, since 2019, 2019, what are some of the things that you're seeing that are working with in the outreach program? Some of the biggest things I think work and that I see work is dismantling this model of telling people what they need, approaching people in a way of asking them what they need. And taking like this system of abstinence out of it. I think what works is like truly meeting people where they're at and just understanding that like they're, they're people, they're just human Mm -hmm. and they're, they're in such a state of like crisis. Some, not all, some people just like to use drugs Mm -hmm. and live outside and that's cool too Mm -hmm. um but understanding that this is a health issue and that just because someone uses drugs and maybe that's why they're in the situation that they're in that doesn't mean that they also deserve to be mistreated in a hospital setting and that doesn't mean that they don't deserve to have Uh, clean supplies or a safe supply of drugs or um, you know I I compare it to like my my grandpa my grandpa died of lung cancer he also drank a case of lucky every day and smoked two packs of cigarettes and when I tell 
people that no one has ever said to me, oh, well, he deserved to die. Exactly. Like, why didn't we just get him to source his own cigarettes? Mm -hmm. We didn't take those away from him. It's a a regulated supply of drugs. Same with his his lucky. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. That is a really good way of putting it, Tasia, because it's true. Like it, it's, there's a little bit of hypocrisy in it, right? Where the things that are very regulated, like smokes and alcohol, nobody ever says just take that away right away, right? Like there's usually a process involved in that as well, where you wean off of it or you put a patch on your arm or whatever, right? There's a process of getting off of it. Uh So why, why is there a just stop using drugs mentality? There's a process to recovery. Because, uh, well, I guess in my own opinion, it's, it's really hard to let go of an idea that we've held on to for so long like the just say no to drugs, which is bananas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't think that is a rational thing to say to any young person who does not have that rational part of their brain developed. This is why when we're young, we do dumb things mm-hmm. because that's, that's how we learn and that's how we grow. So instead of approaching it in a way of educating people and letting them make their own decisions because they're going to do what they want to do anyways, we just want to stop them from doing something. We want to keep that narrative going. And granted, like all of these things are changing, but at a very like snail's pace. And I, I like to believe that there are more people that understand this from a health issue and from a harm reduction stance, but where it ends up is, in the hands like of our government that make these decisions based on something that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. So how do we, what's your thoughts on how, how we make them understand more so that these funds can be allocated where they need to be? You know, our local MP has been advocating for this bill that he put forth bill C216 And it was so beautiful to watch him um, in his last reading of it and where he challenged other leaders from, you know, all the provinces and all those who were making the vote. He, one of the things that stood out for me is he said, even if you don't agree with something, then bring it to a committee come in, like, let's have a conversation because it's okay that you don't agree with me and let's make some changes. Like let's make some radical changes to make a difference in what's going on in these people's lives. And, and we're not doing enough of that. We don't have enough Gorjohns as leaders and we don't, we have more of our uh, health our health minister. So the day before Bill C-216 was voted on was May 31st. And that's the day that they announced our decriminalization of two and a half grams, which is a joke because the recommended was four and a half. And even that was a low ball when looking at like the people that need to be helped. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't find it to just be a coincidence that they announced this decriminalization the day before that this bill was going to be voted on. I think it was intentional. Our health minister, they said that they are not going to support this bill going forward. And when they made these decisions around decriminalizing the like some illicit substances up to two and a half grams, they didn't go by all the information from healthcare providers and, you know, health workers and social workers and outreach workers. They didn't go by the people that are like in the trenches. And who did they go by? Um, So they went by the threshold of two and a half grams going by the data provided by our law enforcement and what was typically seized, which was that between makes no sense. No, no, it doesn't. What'll typically happen to someone is that so let's say a point costs $20 for someone. Mm-hmm. But if they buy a ball, they're gonna get it for 10 bucks a point. So they're gonna go out and they're gonna buy a ball. If you're on income assistance or if you're on PWD or if you're just hustling, like I mean I'm couponing these days. Mm-hmm. Like you just times are really hard right now. And and you're gonna get the most bang for your buck. And, and more often than not, from what I've seen, these folks will get, you know, pulled over. They've just picked up. The Mm -hmm. officer will seize the drugs and that's it. They won't arrest this person. They won't give them a fine. They won't nothing. They seize the drugs. So to say that the average seized is like Mm 1.9 Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what's written down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, so they haven't actually in this um, decriminalization, from what you know, they have not actually taken the advice of the people in the trenches every day dealing with no. it. Yeah, no, no, not not even a little bit. <laughs> What would the people uh, that are in the trenches say need needed to be done in that regard? There's a lot of conversation around that now, um, especially with Mom Stop the Harm. And I think from just from what I understand is that there is a huge disappointment within these communities. This does not help us. This is providing our law enforcement with some training over the next seven months. I'm... I'm not sure what that looks like. Um, I'm hoping there's going to be some more education, but I just find it just another coincidence that we are putting more funds into enforcement and making it look like education. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and not in the actual treatment or helping the people in the trenches every day with yeah. what they need. What do they need? What do the people every day um, in the outreach programs and uh, what do they, what do you think they need, especially in the rural and remote communities? We need to, I think, just to start getting loud. You know, we just went through this pandemic of very strong, loud opinions on like vax and anti-vax and and you witness some huge moves be made in that 
And we need that same sort of support from our government as they gave to COVID-19 and that crisis. Mm -hmm. We need, we need that same drive. We need more people who are going to be able to make a difference in these communities, stand up and say things like, it's okay that we don't agree, but this is how we're going to move forward because this is in the best interest of our country and its citizens. Mm-hmm. And we need less of someone's personal interests mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. and changing the narrative and changing the, the discussion around, I don't know, things that just lead to more, more stigma, because what this is going to do, this decriminalization of a small amount is allow recreational users essentially not to have a criminal record. So we're not, you know, fighting to legalize all drugs. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. oh, from my, my perspective anyways, there still needs to be consequences for breaking the law. I, I don't think that addressing, you know, the recreational and general public in this issue is the solution to the, the problem. I think what we needed to do was not criminalize people who are dying and suffering. Mm-hmm. and there's just there's there's no change mm-hmm. well and let's go back to let's circle back to your story and the fact that you didn't go out looking for these drugs you were prescribed legally an opioid for pain management for a car accident right mm-hmm. and if, if you've seen dope sick, or if you've seen other documentaries out there, you see how quickly that that can spiral. And is that yeah. how it happened for you? Was it a quick oh, 100%. spiral? It was like, I just resonated with that series dope sick so hard because it does, it works. It makes you feel great. You don't feel any pain. And I worked two jobs and I've always put a million things on my plate. And so once I was introduced to that, I was like, this is fantastic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it, it worked really well until my tolerance grew. And then it, I needed more and I needed more. And it just, it changes the way that you think it, it, when I think about the decisions that I made and the things that I did in that time in my life, I just, it, yeah, it's, I don't recognize that person. It was just this constant state of, if I don't take this, I'm going to die, mm-hmm. which is and like an irrational way of thinking about it. It's, it's really the opposite. If you keep taking this, you're, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's how the, the drugs actually, when you're not filling those pockets, those receptors, it's, it's making you feel like you are going to die if you don't have it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So to go from not using to being in a car accident to taking it, was it oxy in your case? I eventually. Yeah. 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 To not being able to function without it. And this is happening to millions of people. 
people that you would never expect that it would happen to them. And it's not, it's not something that they wanted to happen in their lives. And that's why we need to recognize that they're people that just need help. Yeah. I recall this one hospital visit I had, and this is me walking into a hospital as a middle-class white female. I had an average childhood. I'm, I try to remember the place of privilege that I come from. So Mm -hmm. when I reflect on how impossible it was to get to like that final round of, of treatment. Um, I was recalling this, that hospital visit where I was in like a significant amount of pain. I was T-boned through an intersection. My truck was wrapped around a a pole. Um, it, uh, it was terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so I went into the hospital and it was that my whole body was just like, so seized. And the doctor, when I had told him what I had like been prescribed, he, and then immediately goes and like checks my history and looks at my chart. And, and of course there's a history of like substance use there. And he came back and said, well, I can give you Motrin. And I just thought like, you don't think I tried that. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. And and I'm immediately met with shame and that I don't deserve to have someone treat me in like the state that I'm, that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And we are just in a place now where it's so far beyond that. Cause mm-hmm. it, at least I was on a regulated supply at that time, taking oxys and now people are going into the hospital with these same health issues and there's not even a chance that they'll receive the, the drug that they're on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is so much work to do, Tasia, so much work to do. And what do you think besides getting really loud, what do you think the next step is for people like me and you to, to do, to make an impact in, in this situation? You know, I, I have two versions of that. There is the side of me that wants to stay rational, stay respectful. Maybe that just comes from being a woman. <laughs> Keep your composure. Keep your smile. composure. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look crazy. <laughs> but the other side of me just thinks, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> you get know, loud I'm, and get, uh, get mad. I want to ask hard questions. I encourage more people to to just to pay more attention to, and to ask those hard questions and to not be afraid to hurt someone's feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's, that's the world that we live in. It's like, don't, don't rock the boat and don't say the wrong thing or don't make the wrong move. Don't, I don't know. We're just, it's, I feel like there's a lot of accountability put on individuals to hold other people and their feelings and be responsible for them. And that is not going to fit in this narrative, start, you know, talking to your local MP and start asking hard questions and, and do it openly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and don't be afraid of, of the backlash. I mean, I'm not in politics, so (laughs) I am not looking out for 
my career in that sense. And, and I just, I'm not afraid to hurt someone's feelings and I am not afraid to ask hard questions. Um, I've fallen on my own face and gotten in my own way so many times that I know what I can survive. And I think that until we remove politics from these decisions and start bringing more light to it, that mm-hmm. that's the only way that things are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's why this is my way, this podcast, one of my ways of, of asking questions and and shining light on it. And I definitely have other plans as well to, to get loud, ask questions and just make a difference. Right. So. Yeah. And uh, don't take, you know, when, when the answer is these things take time, no, they don't Mm -hmm. look at, look at all the things that changed in the last two years that didn't take any time at all. How many times did our, 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 our mandates change? within weeks, every two weeks, something was different. Mm-hmm. It's a very good point. So, Sometimes it start, was almost every day. Yeah. Let's still start questioning that mm-hmm. when someone says these things take time. No, they don't. Mm-mm. It just no. depends on what they're going to gain. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and it's important. A lot of things have changed in our country. And uh, I mean, just like before we like finish, I just, there was this one mom that stood up. I, I think if I'm remembering it correctly, when they were voting on the the bill that obviously failed Um, and just to speak to like residents of Alberta, I think Mm -hmm. what she had said was, why are the lives of people in BC um, more important than the ones in Alberta Mm -hmm. and every other province? And I just thought that hit me so hard and it's just one, one more thing to question is what, why are we being separated and why are we being, you know, pitted against each other? Because mm-hmm. although some people might be really happy for our province, there are still going to be people who are going to resent that. So now we're, what are we going to do? Start living like in the States where all these States are divided. That's not who we are mm-hmm. as people. Mm-hmm. No, we're, we're better together, like collectively and mm-hmm. not pitting against each other in, in these, in, in anything, let alone mm-hmm. the drug crisis. Right. So mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I heard about that story too, and it's true. We should not be um, doing it in one province and not other provinces, because then you do have that division right away. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Tasia, honestly, thank you for your time and your thoughts on, on all of this. And we definitely need so, so many things to change and be improved upon. There's way too many people dying. It's happening so much. And it's talking with people like you that have actually experienced, experienced it. I have not experienced the use of of opioids or had an addiction in that way, but I obviously had my brother and I watched him struggle with it for years. And I just, I want to remind everybody that Tasia is a real person with a family, with a mom, with the dad, with kids, my brother, same thing. And all that they want is to live a normal life 
whatever normal is for them, where they feel um, like they are loved. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, you just want to be able to get help and not feel ashamed Mm -hmm. or feel unsafe trying to get that help. Yeah, continue to change the narrative and the conversation. Mm-hmm. Today, I am grateful for this time with you and how the universe freaking works <laughs> because I am just so grateful that that documentary led me to you and now our friendship. What are you grateful for today? Oh, I am so grateful for this platform that you have grown and how today was just such a beautiful reminder of where I came from why I do this and that I just I love myself for the for being the why kid oh I forget that sometimes I have goosebumps I really do and that means that you are on the right path and don't ever ever stop being that why kid ever Because you know what, when you're, when you're the Y kid, (laughs) your kids are going to be the Y kids as well. And Mm -hmm. that is, they are (laughs) keep having them be Y kids because the more Y kids and Y adults, the more we're going to make some changes. So thank Thank you you. again for your time today. I'm really grateful. Thank you again, Tasia, for being here to share your thoughts on this out of control drug crisis that we are experiencing in our country. One thing that I know you and I both agree on is that yes, we are not in politics. So we don't have direct experience in how these decisions are made, such as how they allocate their dollars, our dollars. But what we both know is that more informed decisions are made when one has direct experience with a situation. So how about mandating true frontline experience for those in politics? How about spending a good period of time working in low barrier settings and in the trenches so that there is a real understanding of what our overworked support and outreach workers are facing every day? I know for myself When I want to really understand something, like in my career, for example, I get in the weeds for a while. I have been known to get on a Panamax vessel loading sulfur in Vancouver on its way to China so that I could understand the shipping business better. I've been known to spend time in a shipping and receiving office dispatching delivery trucks so that I can hear the feedback, frustrations, and positive comments from the forklift operators and truck drivers. Sometimes it takes getting in the trenches so you can experience and see with your own eyes and feel with your own heart and soul what is truly needed to make a difference in others' lives. There is so much work to be done in the mental health and addiction space and every voice that speaks up, it helps amplify the message that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to ask for help. It's time to say enough with the stigmas and the shame. Everyone has mental health and everyone deserves to feel safe to talk about it, period. I ask that each of us 
be kind and willing to let someone reach out and say, can you help me? Look someone in the eyes today. Really, truly look at them and let them feel your support and that connection. I wish you all a beautiful week. And until next time, be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.